and the Fellowship here, Sovereign Grace Reformed Church Tiverton, for very kindly hosting this TBS, Trinitarian Bible Society, deputation meeting this evening. Thank you for the supporting work of the Society just in this way, just hosting this meeting tonight. I'd also like to thank each and every one of you, uh, whether you are a regular worshipper here or a visitor just for tonight, perhaps from somewhere else, for coming here this evening, attending this special meeting and supporting the work of the Society by your attendance. Thank you for coming, especially if you come uh, a fair way. It's very good to see you and trust that the Lord will bless us uh, here uh, in his presence tonight. And uh, also know there might be some joining us online, I don't know whether tonight or in the future, uh, but it's uh, good to have uh, that online uh, facility as well. My dear friends, without your prayers and without your support, and the prayers and the support of many others like you, uh, both in this country and around the world, because TBS is not only national, it's international, mm -hmm. as we'll uh, see later on, the work of the society under God would not have grown to the extent that it has today. It has wonderfully grown under God's blessing. And we'll hear about that a little later. And for all this, uh, we give God all of the glory. We're careful always to give him all the glory. Until quite recently, Graham, Graham Tutor, has been the deputation speaker for the society in the southwest for many years and would normally have spoken and preached at this meeting, I know he's uh, been here uh, some time ago. However, last year uh, I was approached by the Society to take on the deputation work, in the, not just in the Southwest but also uh, in South Wales, so that Graham could concentrate on an increasing workload on his the east side of the country and nearer to his home uh, and to his church in Bedfordshire. And after some prayer and thought, I was happy to accept this invitation. I was very thankful for Graham's wise advice concerning deputation work, because I'm a real fresher at this, I can assure you. And I'll ask you to pray for us both and for the other deputation speakers across the country and also abroad. And I pray Denison, uh, who is in Northern Ireland, and David Morris in Wales, and so on. So far, I take about one of these meetings per month in the southwest, uh, later in South Wales, at another society-related meetings, and uh, a fortnight ago, uh, for the first time I represented the society at the Banner of Truth Conference, which used to be in Leicester, but is now in Stafford, and uh, we had a display table there in the exhibition hall, so that was a very interesting experience, speaking to the ministers that were at that conference. In addition to this, as most of you know, I'm just a little bit of personal information about myself. I pastor a local church in Exeter, trustee of the Bible League and Christian Worship Trust. I'm married. My wife's name is Myron. We have four children, three older ones, Hannah, John and Eliza. And we have little Sarah, who uh, in my notes I down is seven, seven years old, typical father. No, no, she's eight. <laughs> so difficult to keep up. Now what I'd like to do now is to divide the rest of the meeting into two main halves, if I may. First of all, give you a report about the society itself, and then preach a word to you from, seek to preach a word to you from the scriptures. 
And if any questions arise in your hearts and minds about something I've said tonight, please come and see me. I'll man the table afterwards, the display table. Come and see me if you've got a question. And I'll try and answer. As I say, I've not been doing this for very long, so if I don't know the answer, I, I will get back to you as soon as I can. So first of all, a report about the society itself. It is a big society. It's been going a long time now. Uh, working in so many different countries, so many different translations. So, you know, this can't be comprehensive and exhaustive anyway. I'm just going to kind of a few highlights. But what I'd like to begin, a little bit of background about society itself. It began back in 1831. And on the 7th of December that year, uh, no less than 2,000 souls met at Exeter Hall in London for the inaugural meeting of the Society. And our main aim, and this is uh, you know, all you know, in, the, in the records of the TBS, our main aim in complete dependence upon God, and we should all be like this as Christians, whatever we're doing, mm-hmm. is seeking to glorify Him by the salvation of souls, be instrumental in that, and the spread of His kingdom, through the translation, publishing, and distributing of his word, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, in this country and throughout the whole world in many different languages. We promote Bible translations which are accurate and trustworthy, conforming to the Hebrew Masoretic text of the Old Testament and the Greek Textus Receptus of the New Testament, upon which texts The English authorised, so-called King James Version, is based. And consequently our motto is, the Word of God is a great motto, the Word of God among all nations. Just this nation where it started, but it's all nations. Society's always had a big vision uh, for the whole world. We now have offices in Australia, Brazil, Canada, New Zealand, and some of you will be interested to know, Offices in the United States of America, and of course here in the United Kingdom where the work originally began. And we also work in a number of Spanish-speaking countries, we work closely with the Sister Bible Society in Holland. And just to try and give you an idea of the size of the work today, in spite of the recent restrictions because of the coronavirus pandemic, over the past year or so, a total, I staggered to learn this, a total of just over seven and a half million scripture items were still distributed by the society from headquarters, Willington House in London, in 40 languages to 111 countries. And even these circulation figures were down from previous years because of COVID. But again, my dear friends, to God be all the glory. It's because of Him, His goodness, His provision, His guidance, His protection. But please pray that society might continue to remain true to its original main aim. So often, churches, local churches, colleges, Christian institutions, etc., they begin well, but they can go off the rails. Praise God. TBS has kept true and faithful to its original main aim. But we need you to pray for us 
that it might continue in the same vein. Then secondly, I'm going to give you a brief update about a very important staff appointment. Uh, it was Mr. Roland, D.P. Roland, who was our General Secretary for many years until his retirement about two years ago. And thus, when he was retired and after he retired, uh, we've been praying and advertising for his replacement, <laughs> seeking an experienced and spiritually minded new leader to fill this crucial role. And the deadline for the applications was the beginning of October last year. And there were a few people that applied for the post. Their applications were processed, the interviews were undertaken. And uh, we're so thankful to God uh, for uh, providing a new General Secretary in Jonathan Arnold, uh, who was uh, our editorial director. Uh, he was offered the position and accepted and I'll ask you to pray for him, what an important position he has. So please pray for him. If he was here tonight, he'd be asking him, please pray for me. Brethren, pray for me, pray for us, so that he might be helped and uh, follow as it were, in the way that D.P. Rowland went himself. And uh, I understand that his role, editorial director, has also now been filled as well. So God is very gracious, God provides, Provides funds and also, and the great need today, personnel. He provides the personnel to fill these important positions. And then, next as a society, we have a heart not just for those who are older, we have a heart for them, of course, but also for younger people as well. And some of our Bibles and other resources that we distribute around this country and the world are specifically given to them. Now uh, this is uh, one of the TBS children's one, particularly for children's pictorial, uh, some illustrations in them, and uh, those are distributed with young people in mind. Mm -hmm. There are also uh, bookmarks, and bookmarks, I've got a number of them on the book table, and colouring books, this is a new series of colouring books that we just brought out, and uh, also uh, we have help for children to learn the scriptures. There is that the children's scripture learning program to help to memorize the verses of the Bible and there's the prize of a new Bible once they learn so many. So all of these and many other resources are available on the book or the display table to my left, to your right. Our hearts desire that younger people would also have a copy of, have a copy of God's Word. They might be encouraged to read it, to memorise it, to hide it in their, not only to memorise it in their minds, to hide it in their hearts, mm -hmm. to understand it, to believe it, and in the hope that these means would be instrumental under God in their salvation and then their sanctification and give them a deeper love and understanding of the Scriptures. So please pray for our witness to and amongst younger people that they might be saved and then sanctified and then one day after their lives are over when Christ returns they will be glorified and that perhaps they might even see a work of revival in their days. That would be a wonderful thing if they saw something of God's glory and power in the sanctuary again. 
Next, for many years now, we've displayed large scripture verse posters as train stations across the country. Uh, I've got some posters with me and that, uh, that board there uh, for, else, for putting outside of uh, churches on notice boards. Over the past year or so, opposition by nearly all of the train companies have made this venture increasingly difficult thereby greatly reducing the number of posters we've been able to display. However, there is still one train company that are willing to display the posters, but they're becoming a little bit of a rare breed. But indeed, one has been displayed, uh, a poster over at Exeter St. David's now, for many months. If you've been in that station, or if you passed it, you might have seen, I don't know whether it was still there, but it was there, it was being sponsored by a local church for a long time. And it's quite something to go into or pass your local train station and see one of these really big scripture posters. And this one was, and in the background was red, I think the, the wording was in yellow, so it really stood out. And the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses from all sin. 1 John 1 7. I was thinking about the footfall passing that station and going into it. And they, it's, it's unmissable, you couldn't miss it. You know, it's, it's such a good thing. It wasn't my, my fellowship that was sponsoring that. It was another one in Devon. Because of the aforementioned Saturno events, our operations department began to look at the possibility of displaying these posters at bus stations, bus stops, and on buses themselves. And a small pilot project has begun with the first poster being displayed a while ago. And they're clearly visible to the bus drivers, bus passengers, motorists, pedestrians, drivers, the public at large. And for your encouragement this evening, and to pray about this particular aspect of the work, some years ago now, an unconverted man was on his way to lead a course on business studies with accountants working in the motor vehicle trade. And as he drove past a place of worship in Norfolk, he was struck with the scripture poster on display, and it read this. It was Romans 14, 12. Do you know Romans 14, 12? So then every one of us shall give account, he was an accountant, of himself to God. And over the next several days, as he was teaching about profit, loss, and accounts, he found himself being convicted by the text that he too would have to give an account of himself, not to man, but to God. He later said, this was the beginning of my conversion experience. It was through that text, through the word of God, don't underestimate how powerful God's word is and how God uses his, his bare word. And it kind of it convicted him and it led to his conversion to true repentance and a saving faith. <laughs> So please also remember this aspect of your work, of, of the work in your prayers. And then fifthly, of all the countries in the world that we're actually involved in, I mentioned the number of them at the beginning, I'd like to speak to you briefly about just three, Bulgaria, and uh, it's a bit of a wonderful providence, although I speak about Bulgaria, China and Iran, and Lee tells me you're particularly interested in Bulgaria here at uh, Sovereign Grace Reformed Church. So in Bulgaria, first of all, 
Our reviser of Elgarin Advisors, Strasimir Stanchev, you may know this already, he was called home to heaven on Friday, the 2nd of April last year. He was, he was a relatively young age of 46. We know that's, that was the Lord's appointed time for him. He had been unwell for a few years. And he began to revise the first Bulgarian, and there is some Bulgarian literature there, uh, the first Bulgarian Protestant Bible in 2014, so what's that, eight years ago. Widely known as the Constantinople, or the Slavikov Bible, which was first published in 1871 in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. In 2018, 5,000 copies of the revised Bulgarian Gospel of John were printed, and these continue to be distributed in print, and the translation is also available online. We do have a Bulgarian proofreader who's been involved in this work, but as yet to my knowledge, we've not found someone to replace uh, Spasimir and his work. So, you know, we saw everyone's gone to just provide men to fill posts. Pray that something might be raised up for this. It is specialist work. Mm. It is expert work. And, you know, not everybody can do it, not every Christian can do it, certainly. Pray that the Lord might provide somebody to carry on the work that that man was doing. And now has received his reward of grace and rest. And then China, over the last year or so, our Chinese Bible translators made good progress with their work, the extent that we hope that the whole of the New Testament will be printed and published this very year. Translation work has now commenced on the Old Testament and the book of Psalms. In addition, Four Gospels, Romans and Hebrews, are all now ready to be published online. So please pray for the printing and publishing work of the Chinese New Testament, the translation of the Old Testament, and it won't be too long before we have a whole Bible in the Chinese language for no less than one billion people who speak it. So, so many people. You know, it's such a... It's such a great work, but oh, the Lord might help, it, help us to carry it on and to cause it to grow. And finally, Persian, otherwise known as Farsi, is the main language spoken in Iran. Our main reviser, uh, who you may know, and who pastors uh, uh, up the country a little way from here, he continues to have many competing calls on his time, including he's a very busy pastorate, as well as a wider ministry to Iranian believers and seekers, many of whom are refugees scattered across the world. And although a great deal of work has already been done on the revision of the Old Testament in hard copy, still needs to be reviewed and digitised. So please pray that he will be given the time and the opportunity. And I know perhaps he sometimes he gets frustrated. There's so much to do, so little time to do it. and so much you know, work to do on this, getting around to doing it. Ministry can be very frustrating sometimes, you know, just getting to getting into the study to prepare. I pray that he might be given the time and the opportunity to continue this important work. Following the publishing of the revised Persian New Testament text in 2019, we hope that a second printing of 5,000 copies will soon commence. And just before I leave this section, because it is so topical at the moment, because of what's going on in the Ukraine. When 
when that invasion started, that war began, I'm not making any political point here at all, uh, suddenly all the stocks, they weren't, they weren't massive, but the stocks of Ukrainian Bibles that we had in our, in our uh, uh, storeroom uh, were bought and they were sent out there. But I understand that uh, seeking to, to print more in the future. And I believe from a very recent email that I've had uh, that uh, we have printed a, a, a Gospel of John in Ukrainian. So do pray uh, the folk in the still in Ukraine or those that fled from Ukraine that they might receive the scriptures or at least a portion of them in the future. <coughs> Penultimately, can I bring your, to your attention for your prayers that we now have a local auxiliary for the southwest? And all we're trying to do is to do locally what the TBS as well does nationally and internationally. Uh, you may know Pastor David Kaye in Barnstable, he's on the committee. Richard Clark down in Plymouth, he's on as well. Myself and Tom Cook, is, who's my fellow elder in Exeter. Just a little committee. And it's just one of a number of local auxiliaries that we have throughout the United Kingdom. So please, we'll pray for them all, but please remember us. We've only just started, we're in our infancy. And our current project has been to purchase from the society and distribute in schools, and in our three areas, 1,200 special edition Platinum Jubilee Bibles, marking the 70th anniversary of the Queen's reign next month. It's going to be a week of celebration, isn't there? The Diamond Jubilee ones were very, very popular, and these are proven to be as well. And so we, we kind of met these, uh, so David Case had four, uh, 400, Yes, 400, I must write. Richard's had 400, and we've had 400. And we're going to write to the schools, or bring to the schools, to see if we can't distribute them in our local uh, schools. But I've been putting some, 10 at a time, on the table at the, the end of our, our um, at the end of our front garden. And I've been amazed. Do you, you ever do something like this? I mean, it's a hundred, only living in Tedburn St. Mary's, is a little village uh, to the west of Exeter, it's quite rural and small. 115 copies have been taken so far from the end of March. And I've been so thankful for that, when I think, I don't know where they've gone and if they're being used, but 115 Bibles are now somewhere around Tedburn St. Mary. Mm. And I really hope that the Lord will use them. And... Uh, We'll have some good conversations with uh, neighbours and locals in the near future. Our little uh, uh, pamphlet about our auxiliary is this one, and there are a pile of them over in one of the boxes over there. Finally, if you're interested in becoming a member of the society, that's that, that green form, and again, there's a big pile of them in one of the boxes over there. Um, if you'd like to donate to it or to receive our magazine, quarterly record, or if you'd like a copy of my catalogue, they're available either online or through the post, please come and see me after the meeting. So that's the end of my report, and now we'll have what we do, we'll have a second hymn, it's number 300. Reading then from the Holy Scriptures, if you turn with me to that chapter in the Old Testament book of 
has taken up this most important post as General Secretary, rather than take for him, and for the one who has taken his place as Editorial Director. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, guide these men, Heavenly Father, we pray, and bless the whole of the world, not only in this country, but across the whole world. We thank the Lord for all those who graciously supported uh, financially and also prayerfully as well. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship here, the friends here. Thank you for visitors uh, to here tonight also. I pray, Heavenly Father, bless each one. Remember the fellowship here. We thank you for Lee and for Emily and the family and the other uh, folk of the fellowship here. And ask, Lord, for thy protection of them, thy blessing upon this work, and it might continue to grow, uh, grow not only numerically but also spiritually as well, and that deepen the work of grace in all the hearts and the souls of those who come here and hear the word of God. Supply the pulpit, we pray, and bless the Lord from meeting to meeting, and from Lord's day to Lord's day. Be with us now, Lord, we turn to thy word. Have mercy upon us, we pray, and undertake for us both in the preaching and the hearing of it. We hear, Father, we've read in this chapter how the people heard it in those days, in the days of Nehemiah. Oh, Lord, help us to rediscover Lord, how to hear thy word. Deliver us, Lord, from being what used to be called sermon tasters. Lord, help us, we pray, to hear for our own souls, for the benefit, for the profit of our souls. Whatever we need by way of correction or rebuke or comfort, whatever we need, Lord, speak to us, we, we beseech thee. And help us to hear thy voice tonight, the voice of our good shepherd, speaking to his sheep and to his lambs. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, dear friends, the word that I'd like to bring to you this evening uh, from the Holy Scriptures, from the Bible, is taken from Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to look at the first 12 verses of this chapter. It's not the whole of the chapter, it goes on to talk about uh, people living in, in booths, I think, at the end of this chapter. I want to look at the first. 12 verses of this 8th chapter of Nehemiah. I'd like to begin with the second verse. If you'd like to look at this verse with me, we read there, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Now, I begin with that verse, with Nehemiah 8 and verse 2, because in that verse, in the, in the whole of this, this first part of Nehemiah chapter, the first 12 verses of it, we have Nehemiah writing, I believe, about, well, amongst other things, but chiefly about how God's people heard his word in his, that is, in Nehemiah's day. But here is there in verse 2. Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear, they came together to hear the word of God. And all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So we're told here about how all the gathered congregation of the people of Israel, it wasn't all the Jews by any means, there were still those who were in captivity and exile. And these were ones who were in Jerusalem, perhaps those coming in uh, from the rest of Judah. But how all of the congregation of the people of Israel in that city, in that area, men and women, 
and all who could hear with understanding. So we're not dealing here with very young children, with babies and infants, but those who are a little older. How they heard the book of the law of Moses. Was it one of the books, one of the first five books of Moses, or was it the whole of the, uh, the Torah? Difficult to know. Perhaps it's the whole uh, five first books of, of Moses, of the Old Testament, which the Lord had commanded to his people. And they read to them by Ezra, the priest, the scribe. He's standing on a pulpit of wood from morning until midday in the street that's before the water gate of Jerusalem upon the first day of the seventh month and all in the days of Nehemiah. So verse 3 reads like this. Ezra, he Ezra the priest read therein the law so that people heard it before the street was before the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. That's one of the ways in which they heard God's word. They heard it in italics, but they heard it attentively. It's been added for understanding by the translators. And the question for you and me this evening is this. How do you, how do I, how do we hear God's Word in our day and in our generation? It's so often the case, it can be the case uh, with ministers, it can be the case with members of churches. It's an old, it's an old phrase, uh, we can be sermon tasters. That is, we come along, we listen to a Bible study, we listen to a sermon, and we're kind of sitting there, and we're judging the preaching, we're judging the message, its construction, its content, etc. But we're not really hearing God's word as we should do. Listening for God's voice, speaking to us, dealing with us, mm. correcting us, you know, and showing what, you know, how, how we should be living our lives. Showing us the way of salvation, but then showing us how we should live as Christian people. The Lord deliver us from being sermon tasters. Although we might hear in the light of eternity, be listening out for God's voice, what He has to say to us. By way of correction, rebuke, reproof, instruction, comfort, etc. However it might be. But in the first 12 verses of this 8th chapter of Nehemiah then, we're told about a number of ways in which God's people, Israel, His ancient people, heard His word in those days, in Nehemiah's day. In verse 1 we're told they heard it together. The same verse, they heard it as one man. In verse 3, they heard it attentively. In verse 6, solemnly. Verses 7, 8 and 12, with understanding. And in verse 10, they heard it joyfully. Just because they heard it solemnly, didn't mean to say they didn't hear it gladly and joyfully. So I want us to look at these uh, few ways in which they heard God's word in those days. Just a brief comment upon each. So first of all, they heard it together, verse 1. This is specifically said, it's explicitly written and described. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into this street of Jerusalem, which was before the water gate, one of the gates of Jerusalem. And they approached Ezra, 
It wasn't that Ezra was coming to them. They came to Ezra. They wanted the word of God. They wanted to hear it, read, and to explain to them. Uh, to speak to Israel to bring the book of the Lord Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So Nehemiah wrote, it was Nehemiah who wrote, Nehemiah who wrote this book um, about much about it, and uh, it is uh, described as this book, called by his name. But he wrote in verse 1 that all the people gathered themselves together. And so therefore, all the people of Israel, the Jews, who were in Jerusalem at that time, some that had come in from the outlying areas of Judah, gathered themselves together, first of all, as a nation and as a people. And then he wrote twice, in verse 2 and verse 3, that men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, made up this gathering. And so therefore all the people of Israel who were in the city or coming in from the surrounding area at that time also gathered themselves together as families. They came together as husbands and wives. They came together as fathers and mothers with their older children that could hear with understanding. But mm. friends, their society was greatly benefited when God's word so in these days people turning away, turning their backs upon God's word. Their society was greatly benefited when God's word was heard by them as a nation and by their families coming together in this way, including their children who were of an age of understanding. It was essential that they brought up their children, as the Apostle Paul would later say in Ephesians 6-4, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and this is one of the ways in which they did it. And therefore their children were an essential part of this gathering. It wasn't just adults and older ones, it was children, younger ones as well. Their understanding wasn't underestimated. And the power of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit to give them an understanding wasn't underestimated either. That verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And what a wonderful sight there must have been in Jerusalem, in the street before the water gate. The Jews, the Israelites coming together, the, the older ones, the younger ones too. And they want Ezra to come with the word of God mm. and to read the scriptures from morning till midday. They're prepared to stand there and listen to these things for many hours, for hour after hour. But they came together. Well, my dear friends, it is, it is a good thing that you and I sometimes read our Bibles quietly in our secret closet in our bedrooms or in our studies, wherever it might be, morning and evening, our personal, private devotions. But it is also a good thing on the Lord's Day, in our morning and evening meetings, midweek meetings, well, to come together to hear God's word read and explained and expounded. It is a great honour to be able to do that. It's a great privilege to have the scriptures, these inspired scriptures provided for us, preserved for us. We're reading the word of God and we're hearing the word of God and we're preaching from the word of God. It is a great privilege and honour. Use it, but you might not lose it. Don't abuse the honour and the privilege of coming together 
to hear his word read and opened up. So they heard it together. But notice also in verse 1, they didn't just hear it together, they heard it as one man. All the people gathered themselves together as one man. It is possible to come together but not be as one man. Not be as one. Like the apostles and the disciples in the upper room at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. There they were. One of kind of one mind, one heart, one accord. They were united. They were together. And the Jews at this time must have been a wonderful revival amongst them. God brought them together physically, but they were together spiritually as well. They had this desire, this single desire, to want to, they had a hunger and a thirst and an appetite for the word of God bred to them. Even the law. We have everything else, my dear friends. The rest of Scripture, the whole of the New Testament as well, to read and also to hear. Nehemiah 8.1 is reminiscent of Ezra 3.1, where the children of Israel gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem in the seventh month, the same month as that of Nehemiah 8.2, to lay the foundation stone of the temple in Jerusalem in 537 BC. Ezra, the priest, the scribe, was at the forefront of both of these gatherings. And therefore, they not only at that time heard God's word together, they heard it as one man. They were united in their love for the word of God and for the God beyond the sacred page. Their national identity was cemented together as they joined as one man to hear God's word. Their unity was based upon it. Somebody once said, unity without the truth is no better than conspiracy. But their unity was based upon the truth of the Word of God. Well, that verse in Ezra, chapter 3, verse 1, when the seventh month was come, and the children were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. How important that is here in your local church, Myself there in Exeter, in Hebertry in Exeter, and whichever church you represent here this evening, that when you come together to come under the sound of God's Word and to be dealt with by it and by His Spirit, there's not only a coming together physically in a congregation and a gathering and assembly, but there's a unity. You, you believe that this is God's Word. And you might not agree on everything in God's Word and what we might call kind of things that are more on the periphery and secondary matters, but on the very heart of the Gospel and in the doctrines of grace, you are on, you're not only the same book, you're on the same page. Do you hear God's Word as one man in your day? God delights to come to bless those who you know, are together on this of the same mind, same heart, mm. and one accord. Third in verse 3, here we read that they heard it attentively. Ezra read therein before the street, before the water gate, from morning until midday, before these people, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And of course, their ears were attentive 
because their hearts and their souls were interested and thirsty. So in verse 3, they're attentive to the book of the law, therefore he wrote about their attentiveness to it. They're giving themselves to it, to understand it. The words were attentive are in italics because added by the translators for the sake of understanding. And notice they listen attentively to it upon the first day of the seventh month from morning until midday. So that's possibly, depending on what time they start in the morning, that could be anything up to six hours they were there listening to God's law being read to them. See, how can, how can that be possible? Well, because God gave them a desire. God gave them a hunger. God gave them a thirst. God gave them an appetite. You know, God was there, the presence of God. You know, a sense of eternity pressing in upon that occasion. And no doubt time and sense seem no more. Mm-hmm. And that they could have felt like, could have been there for longer. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when God comes, my dear friends, and really begins to deal with us through his word. Mm-hmm. You kind of read about times of revival, preaching of Welsh, famous Welshmen like Daniel Rowland, mm-hmm. began to preach when the sun was coming up one side of the chapel, and he was carried on until the sun was going on the other side of the chapel. So how is that possible? Well, it's when God comes, you see. God comes, you know, time, as it were, in a sense, goes out of the windows. Wonderful times when God draws near. And then two weeks later, a fortnight later, the Feast of Tabernacles, which began on the 15th day of the seventh month, they listened attentively to it day by day, from the first day to the last day, a seven-day period. So they had this insatiable appetite, hunger or thirst for God's word. This must have done Ezra a power of good, wasn't it? And the other Levites, and Nehemiah as well. You know, it wasn't that they, you know, they came along and they were reading the scriptures and preaching and people were there, and they, you know, like people did it, looking at their watches and thinking about going home, thinking what's for lunch. And other people were coming to them. They weren't kind of forcing it upon other people. It must have been wonderfully encouraging for God's servants. Wonderfully encouraging ministers today. You know, when when members and visitors and friends, they want to be there, they are there willingly on the Lord's Day in meetings, mm. and they want to hear the Word of God. They have an appetite for it. But dear friends, it's never a good sign when we go off our food, is it? Mm. When we go off our physical food, it tends to mean that we are physically not well, we are sick, we're unhealthy. Mm. When you go off the Scriptures, and when you go off prayer, that's also a sign that things are not well with you spiritually. But when you are really enthusiastic and zealous for these things, that is a very good sign. So their thoughts not only wander during the reading of it, they discipline their minds to concentrate upon it, they're raising their children to be able to listen to these things over time. I can remember when I was first converted, I didn't have a very great attention span and I could only concentrate on the sermon for perhaps five or ten minutes. But then the more I listened, you know, the more, the longer I could concentrate for until the end, I could listen to a whole message. Now I just keep on listening. I go through a whole conferences, ministers' conferences, meeting after meeting, because it's something that God trains us in. It's to train our children in as well. Learning to, to sit and to be quiet and to listen and to attend, to concentrate 
and a benefit from the word. No doubt, they could have heard a pin drop. In verse 13, Nehemiah also wrote that the chief of the fathers of all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, took the lead in hearing God's word attentively. Fathers and ministers, led by example. Parents and pastors, preachers, need to lead an example in these things. So notice verse 13, on, on the second day we gather together, the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests of the Levites, to Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. Tension. They listened attentively. Do you? You know, sometimes it can be the preacher's fault. But it's not always the preacher's fault, it can be yours. Before you come to a meeting, prepare yourself. Mm. Prepare yourself to meet with God. Mm. Prepare yourself to, to worship. Pray for the service. Pray for the preacher. Mm. For the, and not just for the preaching of the word, for the reading of God's word too. Don't switch off during the reading. That's very important as well. Mm. So pray about these things. And perhaps the more that you invest beforehand in a meeting, the more you'll get out of it. And sometimes we don't get as much out of a meeting because truly we've not prayed and prepared our hearts. So seek to hear God's word attentively is a good example to others and is an encouragement to those who are leading the services. And then sixthly here, sorry, fourthly in verse 6, they listen solemnly. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So solemn praise and prayer to the Lord, Jehovah, the great self-existent God, the great God, prepared all the people's hearts and souls to hear and to receive God's word. Before Ezra read the book of the Lord Moses to them, he solemnly blessed the Lord, the great God, and they solemnly answered, Amen, Amen. Mm -hmm. Now my dear friends, we always have to be careful about you know, congregations participating in meetings and how you do that. You don't want to be drawing attention to yourselves. But sometimes it is good, is it not? You know, after a prayer that you have agreed with, to say a hearty Amen, Mm. You were following it, you were listening, you were praying, you know, with the minister. Mm. Amen to that prayer. Mm. And something that perhaps he says, perhaps an art quiet amen as well. We have to be careful with these things, things that get out of hand. But again, it's encouraging for a minister to know that the people are listening mm. and responding, especially from their hearts. Well, amen, I mean, it means, of course, so let it be, so let it be. They solemnly lifted up their hands as a token of their total dependence upon God for His mercy. They solemnly bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground as an expression of their humility in His presence. And you notice later, towards the end of the chapter, they have a solemn assembly. It was all done decently and in order, reverently, but with great spiritual freedom and gladness and joy. But there was a solemnity, there was a seriousness. Mm -hmm. And that should, that spirit should pervade all of our meetings. Why? 
Holy friends, we're in God's house, we're amongst God's people, we have God's word. God is amongst us. Mm. Angels are looking down upon us in our worship. Mm. And so it should always be, yes, happy, but solemn occasions. Mm. Well, my fifth point, an ultimate point is, they heard with understanding, verses 7, 8 and 12. There was a second group of Levites who moved among all the people and they carefully declared and explained or gave the sense of God's word, distinctly read to them by Ezra. He wasn't mumbling. You know, he, he carefully and clearly read the word of God, but slowly to emphasize each word, he read distinctly to them to cause them to understand it. You know, what's the point if people can't hear and if people can't understand? The gathering might have been broken up into smaller groups, we don't know. God's word changed and sanctified them as they understood its doctrines. They applied its teaching as they understood what its teachings required of them. God didn't bypass their minds and their intellects. He informed their intellects by his word. And that moved them and led to, through grace, a change of life, not only a revival but also reformation of life. They applied its teaching, as so understood what its teachings required of them. The initial outcome of this hearing of God's word was grief, mourning, sorrow, and weeping, because of past failure to obey God's law. Mm. But later it was followed by gladness and joy, as we'll see. Another outcome was their eagerness and willingness to make amends for their past disobedience and ignorant behaviour and to reform their lives and reform themselves as a people. And hence you have the living in booths later. They were quick. They're not only quick to, to want the word and to hear the word, they're quick to obey it, mm. to apply it. Mm. I always think, well, we're not very good at that sometimes. Well, some are better than others. You know, we do hear, but are, are you, say, not a sermon taster, but you listen, as you listen to God's word, you're kind of looking, you know, to, to see, where do I need to change? I think that if we're Christians now, what part of my life needs to be touched? Where do I, where do, what part of my life needs to be further sanctified? To be made more like the Lord, more Christ-like. That's what we should be looking out for. So the Apostle Paul exhorted the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brethren, don't be children in understanding. In malice be children, but like these in understanding be men. Seek to hear God's word with understanding. And ask, if you don't understand something, ask. You know, somebody who perhaps does know. Don't go away kind of wondering and not knowing and ignorant Something you don't understand, ask. I could remember when I was at school, this was a grammar school, and I had a history teacher, and he was very, very fearsome. He was Mr. King, Peter King. We were, we were terrified of him. The first lesson uh, went down into the, it was kind of uh, downstairs, he went into his, uh, his uh, lecture room, and he put on the, he put on the, on the board in chalk, if you don't know, ask. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never forget that. 
But of course, we're all so terrified of them, we give one of us. <laughs> they so might understand, understand history, the past. We really need to understand God's Word mm. and pray. Every time you read it, every time you hear it, read and preached, ask for a good understanding that we might understand the Scriptures, the Word of God. Well, finally here, in verse 10, not incompatible with hearing it solemnly, they heard it joyfully. So the grief, mourning, sorrow, and weeping of the repentance of all the people preceded their gladness and joyfulness. The day of their gathering together was holy to the Lord. And so therefore, it wasn't a day for grief, mourning, sorrow, and weeping. It was a day for gladness, joy, and we have this word mirth as well. Kind of, you know, a sanctified happiness. And so therefore, Nehemiah commanded them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Holiness and unhappiness, one commentator puts it, were not and are not inseparable twins. Religion, as Isaac Watts once wrote, are meant to make us miserable. Mm. You know, the things of God are the gospel and fellowship with Christ and God. These things are enjoyable things, they're delightsome things. We delight in Him and His day, His people, in His Word. These things are to enjoy and not meant to make us miserable. Sin makes us miserable. Mm. Holiness of life makes us happy. He told them that the joy of the Lord was their strength. And he also appealed to those who had plenty to drink and to eat and send portions to those who had nothing prepared. They'd receive food for their souls and also they were going to have food for their bodies as well. Thomas Watson, the well-known Puritan, once said this, he said, oh, he says, you know, as a preacher, as a pastor, I find two things difficult in my preaching. First of all, to make the wicked sad. And it is very difficult because they are dead in trespasses and sin, but they need to see their sin and they need to repent of it and turn to God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He said, that is so hard to make the wicked sad in my preaching. Preaching the law. Second, he said it's very difficult. And it's an ironic thing, isn't it? To make the godly joyful. But if you are godly and Christ-like, and living a holy life, walking with God, I can assure you that is the best way, the quickest way, to know a happy, contented, satisfied Christian life, to make the godly joyful. So do you also hear God's word happily, joyfully, be spiritually healthy, and if the pulpit's all right, I think that you will. It's a very happy thing to be able to sit under the sound of God's word. Think of Mary. There's Martha coming about much serving, but there is Mary sitting at the Saviour's feet, hearing his word. How did she hear it? Oh, most willingly and cheerfully indeed. That's how we are to be. So to conclude and to summarise, in the Amaya's day at least, they heard God's word together, what a picture of revival. They came together as one man. They heard it attentively, could hear a pin drop. There was a solemnity, 
There was understanding, and because there was understanding, there was happiness, gladness, and joy. What lovely principles those are to hear God's word. What wonderful truths they are. And they are timeless. Mm. You know, therefore, all time. And for everywhere, for all God's people everywhere, Old Testament saints and new. So, is this how you hear God's word in your day and in your generation? This is the biblical way to hear it. May God bless it to us tonight and in the future.